time for the War Drums of Makua, the season of battle. Sponsored by South Pacific Health, Savage Music Studios, and Life Extend Unlimited. The stranger's medicine is for the stranger, but the Polynesian medicine is for the Polynesian. In Mana, we are taught that our first relationship and our last relationship belongs to Atua Tangaloa and the cosmos, because we are taught that our physical form was caused by stardust. And so we have an intimate relationship with the universe. We are bound not to the earth, but to the stars. Even in our fales, our homes, the constellations surround us so that we will never lose our way. This has been the belief of my people since we began over 3,000 years ago. Our healthcare is holistic because of the relationship that we have with the cosmos, each other, ourselves, and our environment. When I was growing up, the relationship that held me in line with my ancestors was solidified by my grandparents and their belief in mana. At four, my grandmother, who wanted to learn to read and write English, bought encyclopedias and had me read them with her. Because she was learning, I was learning, along with the education in all things Britannica, and because she grew up with a Talmasea, preparing the Vailumea, she taught me the medicine practices of our people. Because of the conditions of my birth, she would tell me that this was my job, to heal, to become like her father and her, a Talmasea, and to prepare the Vailumea, to treat and heal the sick. Since the age of four, she taught me to listen to the dead, to see things that most cannot, to listen to the drums and chants of our people in order to open the portals between life and death, in order to gain wisdom and knowledge, to gain a tamai, in order to serve my people. From the time I was born until I was six, I spent my impressionable years with a holistic mindset focused on mana and medicine. How to realize, how to recognize those things that can heal, how to construct a medicine in the old ways and why, how to administer to the sick and how to transfer the power of mana to those that travel too close to the gateway of death in order to allow them a choice in the journey between this dimension and the dimension of the cosmos. It was a conflict in my brain. When I was with the one that I looked up to as authority, I was taught the ancient ways. But when I was not with her, I was expected to fit into a Western philosophy that was more unyielding and intolerant to the unknown. When I was with other family members, I was severely beaten because the protection of my grandmother was not there because I would look beyond the veil she showed me to push aside, and my aunt would beat me for pretending. It's a funny thing now because the mother she loved so much would also talk to the dead, 
would see those things that most human eyes cannot, could see the future and would send warning. My aunt beat me so severely, punished me and abused me so badly for my emulation of her own mother and those beliefs and teachings that teach Polynesians to be grounded. When my parents got divorced, my father went to live with my aunt, who was married and had a family of her own. My father was not a pinnacle of society at that point. He was drunk most of the time, so she took him in at the request of my grandmother to try to save him. She was married to a very prominent academic at Harvard, an uncle that I absolutely adored and do to this day. I think she had three children at the time and was very, very religious, staunch, unmoving in her Christian beliefs as a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, known as a Mormon. She set off on a mission for the church while she was newly married and took her first child with her and had her second in a foreign land while she was serving. She was a former beauty queen, took a state title for her beauty, which in the 1950s was unheard of that a woman of color would take a Miss Illinois title competing against a field of the preferred canvas of white. Her grace and beauty was defined by her role within the society she now claimed. To have a reminder of a savage and unrefined past that her heritage could invoke would not at this time be tolerated. When I, as a six-year-old child, would do as I was taught to do by my grandmother, which was the ancient art of communing with the dead, she would take me and beat me with a belt or shoe. She would yell at me, call me a liar, good for nothing, demented, and evil, while she continued striking me as hard as she could. She once told me that she was going to beat the bad out of me. As a Polynesian child, you were not allowed to cry. If you did, you were beat harder. Not a Polynesian traditional method of discipline, by the way, something that was taught to us in the 1800s by the Palangi, a tradition that has since, unfortunately, become dominant in our culture. My father, trying to make up for all the abuse, came home one day with a treasure trove of toys for me. He worked all day and then at night, I don't know where he was. He woke me up and said, all these things are for you to play with, sweetheart. These are all your toys. When I was brought to my aunt's, I had nothing and was not allowed to play with the toys that belonged to my cousins because I was big, clumsy, and would break them. I was thrilled. I went to my cousin's room and woke them up so we could play with my toys. My aunt was less than thrilled. She yelled and told me not to open up another gift. She took all my toys that had been opened and gave them, after modifying them to a Christian presentation, to her girls, leaving me with nothing again. Since my father told me to open them all, and they were my toys, I opened another toy after she had taken some away. She was furious. She came up, took all the rest of the toys that were unopened, and in my hand, and dragged me down the stairs with the toys in their wrapper, threw them into the burn barrel, 
lit them on fire and forced me to watch as they were incinerated to nothing. As they popped and melted, she started yelling at me, beating me again with the belt. She sent me up to my room for the day for disobeying her, and I was alone. I was six. I cried. I cried for the whole day until my father came home. He hugged me and apologized for the hurt and said there was nothing that he could do. It was her house that we were living in, and until we could find our own place, she would rule over us. At one point, my father, trying to make things up to me, bought me a new outfit, a dress, a coat, socks, and beautiful new black patent leather shoes. I love those shoes. It was a beautiful outfit, and I was so happy. My father wanted to take me out to dinner, and as we were leaving for our date, my aunt stopped my dad and told him it was unfair that he should dress me up when the girls had nothing. She picked apart the outfit, telling him that the dress, the shoes were too small for me, but would fit her girls. The next day, my outfit was gone, and I again had nothing. I think Christmas was the last straw. Still etched within my brain and still hard to talk about. Christmas morning, her girls opened their gifts under the tree as I sat and watched from my father's lap. There was nothing for me. No toys, no candy, fruit. Everything was for her family, and she made it quite evident that we were outcasts. Then my father left for a minute and came back from our room with a box. He gave me the box and told me it was a gift from my grandmother. My aunt and cousins looked on while I opened the box and pulled out a beautiful hand-sewn quilt. I wrapped myself in that quilt that smelled like my grandmother, a reminder that she loved me. I was the only one in the house that got a present from my grandmother. As I drifted off to sleep wrapped in my grandmother's Christmas present, the only present that I had gotten, I heard my father arguing with my aunt about the fact that it wasn't fair that I got something from grandma and her girls did not. I woke hours later because I was cold. My aunt had taken the quilt away from me and gave it to her girls. My father apologized again and started looking for another place to live. My life has not always been this way, and because my grandmother instilled in me mana, I learned to rationalize behavior. I learned to measure my response. I learned that some people, even though they are born to a bloodline, may not understand the kapus, may not comprehend the elements or dimensions of life. Even as a six-year-old, I took in the beatings, the abuse, the neglect, the cursing, and learned from them. My aunt's husband, the uncle that I adored, would talk to me about reason and emotion. I don't think he realized how much his gentle voice, his intellect, and his mannerisms healed me in those moments. He would step in often against his wife's abuse towards me. At times, and to this day, I think my uncle may have had more Polynesian blood than my aunt because he understood and practiced the art of Ho'oponopono. I used to be a talkative child, but I learned from my associations at a young age that silence 
can communicate more than some conversations. Just a few years ago, another aunt told me that I was never loved. As part of our family, I was just pitied. That I would have been better off had I never been born. She said that my grandmother never loved me, that she had just pitied me and tolerated my existence. My grandmother taught me mana, believed in mana. The day before she died, she'd whispered to me how much she loved me, how she would always be with me. My grandmother taught me that mana, always at the root of existence, and the relationship between man and the cosmos teaches us that we can heal from abuse, from pain, from despair. The relationship that binds us to those things are higher. That dimension that we as Tangata are fashioned from offers us the knowledge to awaken the stardust within, to connect us to Atua Tangaloa. When I went on my educational journey, I went into science. Those many beatings from my aunt spurred me on to finding a Balangi foundation to base my beliefs in because in my traditional apprenticeship with a Talmasea, through the eyes of the Western culture, I was wrong. I was meaningless. I was nothing, which contradicted my blood as an Ali. The stardust binding the relationship between man and cosmos, a key element of mana that I was taught as a child, I learned scientifically, is found in a chemical called methoxetin that exists in Tangata, mankind. Methoxetin is found in soil and a variety of foods, most of which are tropical in nature and in breast milk. Methoxetin is a component of interstellar dust, stardust, the very thing that we as Polynesians for over 3,000 years believed connected us to the cosmos. In my mission to more fully understand where I came from and who I was, I sought to find a foundation more solid and firm in science than in mana. And what I found was that all my ancestors' beliefs based in the information taught to the Alis by Atua Tangaloa through Langi and Papa. There was truth. The first key element for Tangata was the relationship between man and the cosmos and the discovery of methoxetin, interstellar dust, scientifically connected mana and the ancient religion to the truth of the relationship between man and the universe. My journey to leave my religious connections behind in order to find truth gave me a better understanding of why I believe in mana. How did my ancestors know all these things without the tools of science? What caused the Vailumea to work? Why did my grandfather know that all these things in the Vailumea would have the reactions in the body that they did? Where could I find what I was seeking when the Talmaseas were so connected to mana that they would not talk to anyone about it? My training with my grandmother ended years ago when I started my Western education, but now I was called back to my foundation in mana. After years of research 
into biochemical anomalies found in Polynesian blood called the Lewis phenotype and the comparisons in biophysics that binds us to the universe, just like Mana taught us thousands of years ago, I had to rediscover my roots. My aunt and many others in my Polynesian family have gastric problems, which is a genetic anomaly associated with sugars, a very basic, very rare sugar that is secreted by the inner workings of the body. Disease associations with Lewis antigens are peptic ulcers, gastric adenocarcinoma, mucosal-associated lymphatic tissue lymphoma, and idiopathic thrombocytopenic purpurea, susceptibility to candida and E. coli infections, and pancreatic adenocarcinoma, all of which my family has suffered through, all of those issues not present until our diet changed. I started to investigate how could I manipulate the body's reaction to certain factors that increase the tendency for disease. It started me on a very long career that I never intended to begin. To specialize in the biome, the health of the gut. But here I was, back before my grandmother, before the Vailumeas, the preparation of medicine that makes us live longer, better, healthier. To answer the question of why they worked and how my ancestors knew how to treat the sick and dying. There was a man that came to the islands years ago to teach us about religion. He became so enamored with the people and the medicine that after he completed his religious mission, he came back to finish his educational training. The people loved him because he didn't want to change them. He wasn't condescending. He had the true spirit of mana. So they adopted him and called him Nafanua. He was an ethnobotanist and became famous for his work in prostaglandins and cyanobacteria, cancer, and Alzheimer's research. I had conversations with Nafanua on several projects that connected us during my education. One was political over the harvesting of ocean reefs surrounding an island nation, and the other was while I was working on my PhD. He wrote to me at one point about the connection between the medicine of our people and the current research into chronic and acute conditions. My grandmother had trained me. Her father had trained her, but neither would talk to this scientist. Finding the connection between them and me, this doctor was very open about his research and mine. In 1992, there was a movie that was released called The Medicine Man. There was actually a story about a doctor, Paul Cox, Nafanua, and my grandfather, the town Masea, and Samoa. As an ethnobotanist, his focus was on indigenous medicine, the Vailumea that my grandmother would prepare for my grandfather, the famous town Masea Opapo. I still have emails between the two of us as we discuss the rainforest and the medicines that are hidden within it. I was trained because of the story of my birth. I was trained because I was sent. I was trained because of the story of my birth. I was trained because I was sent. It didn't mean that I was employed in this work. It just meant that I had the knowledge, the atamai, to do what my ancestors sent me for. Because of my upbringing, 
the willingness to acknowledge mana as a source of medicine, as a source of power, was difficult at best. I was often torn between my upbringing, between my grandmother and the world of Western culture that entrenched my aunt. One was viewed as cute, ridiculous, without merit, mystic legend, or stories. The other was viewed as hard fact. When I started my journey in biochemistry and saw the relationship between methoxetin and interstellar dust, it piqued my curiosity. I started to remember all those steps, all those lessons that my grandmother had so carefully taught me, and my blood began to respond to the war drums again. I didn't want to go through the humiliation and beatings that I had received when I was young, so I retreated into my own lab, my own space, so I could study and observe without the judgment of the Western world. I also stopped doing the healing work of mana because I was afraid of political and religious judgment that often ended up with physical and mental abuse, not only from my family, but from the community around me. In my lab and in time, I will design the ceilings in the tradition of my people in order to memorize my path, my journey to the final dimension, because it reminds me of the Falis in Samoa. In the Follies, they are built with not only the trade winds as consideration, but also the constellations to remind us of where we came from and where we are going. On one end, the ascending constellations, and on the other, the descending constellations as bound to constant stars. Even with our tataos, the constellations are an important tie we brand into our skin that reminds us of who we are. The tataos also bind us with the rafters of the fali to remind us of where we are from. Both are constants within the culture. Mana is not just the binding of the spirit to the universe through chemicals like methoxetin. It's not just about the gut developing healing processes through certain diet configurations and components that a Vailumea can produce, but the drumbeat of mana, the drums that beat through the influences of the institutions of knowledge versus the customs and traditions of thousands of years of wisdom, synchronizes left and right brain hemispheres and increases alpha brain waves which is a state of wakeful rest, of peace and harmony, creating a better condition for psychological and physical healing. Therefore, we as Polynesian people, to save our relationship with our foundation, our culture, and our way of life, let the drums beat on. Keep listening for more episodes of The War Drums of Makua, The Season of Battle. Brought to you by SouthPackHealth.com. The wisdom of the past is the health of the future. SavageMusicStudios.com and Life Extend Unlimited. The taste you know, the results you prefer.